Let's go ahead and pray, and then uh, we will get into our study. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for kids. Thank you for the children's ministry. Thank you that there are children here that are um, entrusted to this team to be taught your word. And we just pray for, for, for the kids' ministry, even right now, Lord, that you would um, just pour your spirit out upon them, Lord God, that you would um, help the kids like some of mine to be compliant and uh, teachable. And just thank you so much, God, for what you're doing, Lord, that your word never turns back void. Thank you for each and every person here. Just ask you would teach us, Lord, we also want to pray for Israel, that you would do a great work there, that you would save people, that you would draw Israel to a place of recognizing the Messiah, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Lord, that you would um, just have your hand upon um, uh, that whole situation over in Israel. Um, again, war is horrible, and, uh, but uh, we know that you are in control and that there isn't one thing on this globe, Lord, that uh, you don't see and that you're not in control of, Lord. We know, God, that um, as the day approaches for you to return, that things are going to um, be uh, more intense and uh, strenuous in, in the Middle East. And so when we see these things happening, um, we know that our, our redemption draws close to us, Lord. And so may that cause us to uh, look to you more, to be more about your business, to be more um, dependent upon you. And, and uh, just thank you and just praise you and give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, out of respect for the Bible, do you guys mind standing? And we'll read through our verses and then it'll be great. <clears throat> John chapter 2, verse 1 through 25. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were, a, there, were a set, there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made, that was made wine and did not know where it had come from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Actually, we are going to, I apologize. I forgot to change the top. Yeah, we are only going to verse 11. Thank you, Lord. Sorry. Let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word that it never turns back void. Just teach us as we sit at your feet. In Jesus' name, amen. Sorry about that, you guys. I forgot to change my own note at the top of my, my notes. Cool. So, 
Um, it, I thought it was, in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, um, Super Bowl Sunday, people think of getting together and partying and celebrating their team and, and, and all of that and, and food and everything. And I thought, wow, Lord, how fitting that we're in John chapter 2, verse 1 through 11, uh, where you are at an amazing celebration. And so we see here in verse 1 through 4 um, that on the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding, and when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. So we see here in these first few verses of John chapter 2 that there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. We see that the mother of, Mary, the mother of Jesus, who is Mary, was there. And we also see that Jesus and his disciples were invited to this event. Now, it's important to understand that weddings, they're an amazing, great celebration, and they were really a pinnacle of celebration in, Jewish, um, in, in Jesus' time. And, but uh, weddings are an amazing, great celebration. The coming together of a man and a woman to live with each other, committed for life. Weddings bring all sorts of family and friends together. And in Jesus' time, it was no different. And so it's, it's just amazing we see here you know, that, G that Mary and Jesus and the disciples that were following him at the time, they were invited, so obviously they were connected to this family. They were connected to the bride or the groom. Um, and Charles Spurgeon says that the invitation of Jesus to this wedding says something about the presence of Jesus at weddings. Jesus comes to a marriage and gives his blessing there that we may know that our family life is under his care. So it's amazing. Jesus is not a downer. He joins in in the celebration party of people's lives like at a wedding. Sometimes people have this misconception of God that he's just this humdrum dude that has lightning that flies out of his you know, hands to just smite everybody and anybody, but that's not who he is. And so Jesus was here at this wedding. Um, there are some that try and make this out to be Jesus Christ's own wedding or even that it was John the Baptist, I mean, John the Apostle's wedding, but we don't see that here. And, but some people make it out that this was, that this was Jesus's wedding. And, and, it, and, and, and that's taught in the Latter-day Saints or the Mormons. Also, some of the New Age religions have tried to say that this is the case, that it was Jesus's wedding. But the plain text states that Jesus was invited as a guest. And there is nowhere in Scripture at all that even remotely hints at all that Jesus was ever being married. If anyone says that to you, they're grabbing straws. The Bible does not say that whatsoever. <clears throat> now, it's important to understand that it was customary to have wine at weddings. And if the wine ran out, it was viewed as an insult or a disgrace. And the couple would have been looked at with social disgrace for an extremely long time. So culturally, when the wine ran out at this wedding, it was a bad, bad, bad thing. It was not good. <clears throat> weddings were one of the greatest, like I mentioned before, weddings were one of the greatest celebrations, and part of that was the food and the drink. We have that nowadays. I remember when Gene and I got married, the whole rigmarole we went through for the caterer. Oh my gosh, it was crazy. How many cases of sparkling cider did we have? How much chicken was there? I mean, like literally, it's, oh, we have 
200 people we have to feed. How do we figure that out? I don't know. Somebody's got to write a check for that, I guess. But, but with weddings, food and drink is a big ordeal, and so it was a big deal then too, but, but it was frowned upon um, against the, the bridegroom if, if something went wrong in that fashion, if the wine ran out. And so Mary found out that the wine had run out, and she took it upon herself to ask the Messiah if he could fix the situation. See, Jesus knew who, I mean, Mary knew who Jesus was. The angel told her who would be in her belly. She was not ignorant to who her son was. So here she is. She looks at Jesus, and can you picture it? She's like, hey, can you, can you, I know you're God. Can you fix this? That's really kind of what she's saying. It wasn't like, hey, son, you know, the, the tires need to be fixed on the car, you know, can you? I mean, where was Jesus, where was he going to get wine from? He wasn't going to go to the store. He wasn't going to go to, a, what, what was he going to do? She, she looked at him as the, the one who was able to do something amazing in a situation that was very uh, detrimental to the bridegroom, not even Mary. And she was looking out for this, this bridegroom, you know, what, what was, might be looked upon as negative towards him. So Mary's very other-centered. And we see here, you know, <laughs> can we really fault Mary at all? I mean, she knew, like I mentioned, she knew her son. She knew who he was. And she thought maybe how simple it would be for him being Jesus the Christ and the Lord to take care of this situation. I mean, we're all here. Can you imagine her saying, you know, we're all here and, and, and there's this need. I'll just ask him. And Jesus' answer that he spoke to his mother in verse 4 may sound harsh to us in our day and age. Woman? But that's not how it was. Um, in the culture and language then, the word woman... In this verse, it was not rude to say this. In fact, it was a title of respect. Um, kind of in the same context of the way um, uh, uh, to properly approach someone and say lady, you know. It, 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 it's, a, it's not like a slang word, okay. It was a form of respect. It, was, it, wasn't, him being put, it wasn't him putting Mary off or, or, or thinking that, why are you bothering me or, you know, you know, woman, what are you doing this for? And it wasn't that. And so in our day and age, we can read this and go, gosh, Jesus sure was like disrespectful to his mother. What's going on here? But that's not the case. That's not how the language was spoken then. And so it's important that we don't look at this as being disrespectful or anything of that matter. Um, and it's also important to know that Mary had no spiritual power, okay? She's not a deity. She's not to be worshiped. She was a person that God decided to use for his glory and for his purpose. And if you see here, Mary really, throughout Scripture, didn't quote, she's not quoted much throughout Scripture. And, and also, when this was uh, brought up, you know, we see the Bible teaches us that she just simply asked Jesus to do something, and then she's no longer really in the picture after that. So she pointed to Jesus. She, she looked to Jesus for the solution. She didn't point to herself. Um, in certain, you know, religions, Mary is lifted up as a deity, 
but that's not biblical. And she wouldn't even want to be lifted up. She stayed humble. She stayed low. She, she, she actually knew that she was just a, 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 a really poor person, really, honestly, that God decided to use for his glory. Um, and so throughout time, we kind of look at, you know, people in the Bible and we try and, you know, make them greater than they are. And the reality is, is that everyone in the Bible except God being Jesus was just a human being, a sinner saved by grace that is in need of the Savior. And so we see here Mary just in the regular everyday life of being, you know, uh, Israel, you know, Jews that are in their culture and they're at this wedding and, and, and she speaks to her son knowing who she is and Jesus' answer wasn't rude. But, okay. <laughs> Everything all right? I, don't, I heard hospital. Oh, okay. So uh, what also we see here where Jesus says, what does your concern have to do with me? That wasn't him being rude. What he was saying, what Jesus is not saying, is why are you talking to me about this? That's not what Jesus was saying. What he is saying is, my decisions are not based on what you think or say or desire. My decisions are based on what my Father's will is, and that is what I am concerned about. We know this is how Jesus operated because of Scripture teaches us this. John chapter six, verse 38 says this, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me, the Father. John chapter five, verse 30 says this, I can of myself do nothing. This is Jesus speaking. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. And this isn't saying that Jesus isn't God. It's saying that he literally had a one-track job to do what his father had commanded him to do while he's on earth. And we see that example of even Jesus being God, being submitted to the will of God. It's really a great example for our lives. We need to be submitted as well to the will of God. Where scripture in the, in the last verse there in verse four, where it says, my hour has not yet come. When we see Jesus saying this concerning that his hour had not yet come, it was not time for Jesus to be revealed to the world as the all-conquering Christ. That would be, cru it wasn't time for him to be revealed to the world as the all-conquering Christ that would be crucified on the cross at Calvary and rise from the grave three days later. It wasn't his time yet. Jesus said this phrase on more than one occasion in the Gospels. One example is this in John chapter 7, verse 30. Therefore, they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. All throughout Jesus' ministry, the religious leaders were trying to grab him, trying to take him, trying to, 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 to do what they wanted to do, to put him on trial, to put him out. There was this whole agenda to get rid of him. And really, they, they didn't want to hear because they had, you know, Jesus had all these followers and and, 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 and they were losing, you know, the ground of, of the public appreciation. But the reality is, is that the Old Testament prophesied about the Israelites not really accepting him as the Messiah. So it's interesting when you read through prophecy and then you see in the Gospels things coming together that God even can intermingle man's own will to determine the outcome of what God wants to have happen. In other words, he's always in control. 
but we still need to be submitted to him. And so even though where he says here, my hour has not yet come, so what he's telling his mom is he's saying, look, you're coming to me with this issue, but it's, I, I'm not, it's not my time to show that I am God in my full glory and what I'm really about, not yet. Because when Christ was crucified on the cross, okay, Jesus came to be crucified, okay? He, he did miracles. He, he interacted with people, but the agenda was his crucifixion. Why? Because the world needed a Savior. And that was promised in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, the Proto-Evangelium, the very first mention of the gospel. And so, and so the agenda of Jesus' life, the 33 years, was for him to end up at Golgotha, which is called the, 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 the Skull Mountain, which is interesting. If you look at a picture of it, it actually looks like a skull. Um, and to be crucified, his blood to be shed, the, the, the living sacrifice, like we read in John chapter one, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so when Jesus said, my, my hour has not come yet, I'm, you know, it's not time for, for the people to see exactly who I am yet. And that's another thing that's amazing is that God's timing is perfect. He's not too late. He's not too early. And sometimes in the waiting or in the frustration, it's a process of God refining us or drawing things up for us to let go of, to let him do a work in our life. And we see in verse five, after Jesus said this to him, she hands it off to the servant, basically, whatever, this, whatever he says, you do. And this is how we should be as well. Whatever Jesus says, we should do. She she, it was emphatic. She told the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. So we have this great example here of how Mary viewed Jesus. And we should do the same. Mary saw Jesus as the one in control and the one that is 100% capable to take care of the situation. What Mary did not do is place herself as the one that had any power at all. She pointed to Jesus as the one that was in charge and the one that had the plan. Mary simply pointed to Jesus and made sure that the servants at the wedding knew that whatever Jesus said, you need to do it. Do that and nothing else. And it should be in our lives as well. Like I had mentioned, we should point to Jesus and whatever he says is what we should obey. No other voice, not any other. John chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus saying this, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Continuing in John chapter two, verse six and seven. Now there were set there these six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. In other words, they weren't full of water. They had a capability of holding that much water. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water and they filled them up to the brim. It's interesting, the wedding was held at a location that happened to have six large water pots. These water pots were used for purification. This would have been for a person to purify themselves after maybe touching a dead animal. 
This was part of the system of the Jewish law and the ceremonial purification process. This is what they lived by. It's an Old Testament thing. Jesus tells the servants to fill the water pots with water. They fill them to the brim. In other words, no room at all to add anything to the water pots. It'd be like my coffee in the morning. I'd like fill it all the way up. And I, because I want it to be, I want as much as I could get. And then I walk and it spills everywhere. It's horrible. But that's, isn't that how we are when we want all the way to the, there's no more, I couldn't add sugar to it. I couldn't add cream to it. I can't add anything to it. So these servants, they did this. They filled these water pots, to 20 or 30 gallons, but they were filled to the brim. There was no room for anything. And there's a reason why, too. So they fill it to the brim, no room at all. Can't add anything to these water pots. The water pots were so full that there was no way for anything else to be added to the water because some people think, oh, maybe Jesus added something to it. Maybe he poured a little wine in there to turn the water into wine. I love how scripture is so detailed. It, it, it leaves out the questions of things when we look at it. I love that the Bible is plain. The content of it is plain. It, it speaks to us. When we read it in context, we, we, it just it communicates truth. So these water pots are so full. They can't be added. There's no room at all. Nothing can be put in them. No additives. Jesus didn't add to the water. He didn't add to it. He transformed it. Jesus transformed the water. Just like in our lives, when we choose Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he doesn't add to our life something that will fade away or some parlor trick temporarily covering things up like some Band-Aid that will fall off one day. He transforms our life with his power that is everlasting, he transforms us. Have you been transformed by the power of Jesus? And then the question is, are you being transformed every day? Sanctification is a process. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes we're in seasons of God just reminding us, don't do this, don't do this. Like last weekend, I was at um, you know, was it last weekend? No, weekend before, I was teaching at a youth, a youth camp, one of, the, one of the sessions. And I wasn't the only pastor up there speaking. There was another guy, and he was teaching, and it like just, I, 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 this is my analogy. It like, it slapped me in the face like a shovel. You know, God's like, you need to be this way. And the Holy Spirit's so faithful, like, there, there doesn't even need to be an interpretation. When the Lord really starts ministering to us, he like delves into our soul and reads our mail and says, this is what you are and this is what I expect and this is how you need to be. He doesn't put any gray area in there. Just like when these water pots were full to the brim, Jesus wasn't questioning, he just, he turned into wine. What he does, he transforms us. So the Lord was ministering to me and then I was listening to, to, to Roy's sermon up there still and it's like the Lord took the other side of the shovel and hit me with it, you know? <laughs> It's like when, when God really is starting to pull things out of our lives, we need to be listening because we don't want to miss out because we'll keep going around the mountain until we, get, until we learn what he's teaching us. Gina and I were talking about that last night. What's the Lord teaching us right now? Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it, 
But, you know, just like if you have a bad tooth in your mouth, I don't care how much pain medicine they give you. It hurts when it gets pulled out. But if it's left in there, it's detrimental to your, even your bone and your jaw. So when God starts revealing things in our lives, he wants to remove things and pull up dross and, and scrape it off so that what is revealed in us is Christ-likeness. And that's what he wants out of us. He wants us to reflect Jesus, and it's not natural for us. I didn't know why I got into that. That's not in my notes, but it kind of goes along the lines of being transformed by the power of Christ. He saves us from hell, and he saves us from the bondage of being controlled by sin. And then as we walk out our relationship with him through prayer and reading of the word and fellowshipping with others, he starts transforming our lives and making us in to, to be more like Jesus. And I, you know, all, some of us can look back and say, praise the Lord, I'm not who I was five minutes ago, or praise the Lord, I'm not who I was 10 years ago. And God's faithful, and he loves us through that process. He loves us. He is a loving God, and he's full of mercy, and he's full of grace. And so even when his mom brings up this trivial thing at this wedding, you know, it in, in, the, in the grand scheme of God, it could have been trivial. Wine, what, the, what is that to God? Nothing, it's like whatever. But it was the beginning of Jesus' ministry. This is the first miracle that he did that's um, accounted for in Scripture. And so <clears throat> it's interesting to note um, that Jesus used what was around him and engaged the people to fill the water pots. Jesus could have just spoken wine. <laughs> I mean, in John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5, we know that Jesus was in the beginning. He, he was part of, cre- he, he was there in creation. He was a cre- he's the creator of things. Um, and so he could have just said wine or whatever. He could have, you know, caused anything to have happened. But in Scripture, we see that, that, that he actually engaged people. He engaged people to fill the water pots. He chose to interact with them. Um, he could have spoken the wine into existence or done some other miracle to meet the need, but he chose to interact with human beings in the process of his miracle. And he is still asking us today to be part of what he desires to be done here on earth. And it starts with having a relationship with Jesus Christ. See, I, you'll hear me say this all the time, and hopefully... if. You know, you hear this from other folks that teach the word or other Christians or whatnot. You know, the job of ministry is us as a whole, not just the pastor's job. And so God's calling all of us to be involved in what he has going on. You know, he used what was available. Um, it's, it, it, this isn't in my notes, but if you, you think about, sorry, come to mind, um, I always get Moses and Noah mixed up. Um, Moses when he was dialoguing with the Lord and he had a, he had a stick in his hand and, 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 and God said, what's in your hand? He said, a stick. And he said, throw it down. And it turned into what? Snake. A snake. And then he said, pick it up. And he picked it up. It was an inanimate object. But God used what was in Noah's hand. So then the question is, what's in your hands? What, 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 what do you have in your life? God wants to use your life to glorify him. We don't have to have some special personality or some special anything. God has made all of you unique, 
and very special to him. And he wants to use all of you to bless him and to glorify him. And I watch some of you, man, in your life, like you serve the Lord and you glorify him with your life. And it's an amazing thing. And, and, and it's just, you, we see here in this picture, Jesus could have done anything. He's God. But he allowed the servants, the lowly people, to be involved, the only people, really. Mary wasn't involved with the miracle. It was the servants that were. If you look at the context of the scripture, it wasn't the, the feast master. It wasn't the high ranking. It wasn't anybody. It was the servant. The servants were the only ones that drew the water. The servants knew that the pot was empty. They knew that the pots were filled. They filled them. They knew these things. Just like in our life, God wants to use simple people to do great things. You're like, Brian, I'm not simple. Well, I'm just saying, like just human beings. Exactly. Yes, there was a wedding in Canaan. See, Ray, if there's an off day, we can just have your phone read scripture. Don't be embarrassed. It's okay. It's good. That encourages me, actually. Yeah, if you have a hard time reading, man, there's Bible apps that'll read scripture to you, you know? We learn by visual, we learn by hearing, and we learn by doing. Those are the, the three different ways human beings learn. You can, we have so many tools available to us nowadays to learn the Bible, So it's amazing what God has given us in this day and age to do that. We also see here in verse 6 and 7 that the servants, like I said, they did not only, they, they, the servants did only what man could do. The servants did only what human beings could do. But Jesus did the impossible. He turned water into wine. I don't know about any of you, but I can't do that. I mean, my kids could throw some food coloring into something, but it's never going to be. Don't drink it. But you can like, okay, I got this cup. Okay, all right, here's some water. We can't do the things that God can do. And when God does the impossible in our lives, it brings glory to him. So he turns this water into wine. You and I can only do what is possible for humans, but Jesus Christ can do and will do the impossible in your life. He will, and he can. He desires to do that. Charles Spurgeon, again, I quote from him, he says this, this is a pattern for our faith and obedience. When you are bidden to believe in him, in other words, when you are asked or called to believe in Jesus, Believe in him up to the brim. Don't believe in him halfway. When you are told to love him, love him up to the brim. Don't love him partially. When you are commanded to serve him, don't serve him halfway. Serve him up to the brim. Jesus gave his life for you and I. Why should we serve him any less? He became the suffering servant, the God who created the heavens and the earth. He, he didn't count it as robbery to come down to the earth to give up his throne. He took the place of a, of a servant. 
You look at Jesus and the disciples at the Last Supper and like, here they all are lounging around knowing that the custom was to wash their feet, you know, before a meal and they're probably looking around, where's the servant at? I don't see, Luke, did you get it? John, did you? Uh, uh, Peter must have been the one who screwed that up because he's the one always doing wrong things. And, and, and here's Jesus' Last Supper with his close friends, the 12 of them. And what does the God of the creator of the universe do? He takes his outer cloak off, binds himself up, gets down on his hands and knees, and washes the dirty, nasty feet of the 12 men that were full of pride. And so we see Jesus as the example of a servant. So we're to look at that and receive that and know that he is capable and able to do anything in our life, to change anything in our life, to change our attitude about certain people, to, to draw us to a place of, 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 of being humble and, 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 and presenting the word sorry, I shouldn't have been that way. Sometimes that's the hardest thing to say. You're like, what does this have to do with any of this stuff? Well, this has to do with us looking at what Jesus did with this wine and these jars and that he wasn't halfway. And when we give the Lord our all, there's nothing that can hinder what God wants to do in our life. And I'm not saying, I, I say this all the time, I'm not saying that life is a bed of roses because it's not. Life can be very difficult. We all can have many trials, physical, mental, you know, financial, and we can just want to throw in the towel, we can just want to just give up. And even in our emotion of wanting to give up, we need to give it to the Lord. You know, Mary looked at Jesus and says, there's a problem here. This is going to be a problem for this bridegroom. And so if Jesus can turn water into wine, which is impossible for us, how much more can he actually do inside of us that, you know, we can't change those things. We can't, I can't make myself more like Jesus. Okay, I, I can't do that. I can make myself more like Brian, and that's not always good. But what Jesus can do in our lives is make us more like him, but we have to be willing. And these servants were willing. Could you imagine? They knew that this wedding was a disaster. These, the, the, bride, the bridegroom and the bride would have been ridiculed forever. They would have had social disaster. Don't ever go to Bill and Jane's house Oh, they're going to play cards. No, we don't want to go there. They ran out of wine at their wedding. It just would have been mayhem. It would have been hurtful for them. And what does Jesus do? Engages these servants that filled up the water to the brim in these pots. And then he says to them, draw some out. Could you imagine that? Uh, we know we put water in here. Okay. He said, draw some out and... and, and, and and, 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 and take it to the master of the feast. Uh, okay. Isn't that how it is sometimes? God calls us to do something and we're like, okay. I don't understand. But you're asking, your word tells me this. You're asking me to do this. There's confirmation and the Holy Spirit. I, okay. I don't get it, but okay. 
These servants were obedient to Mary said, whatever he says, do it. So they pulled this, the, 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 they drew some out and they took it to the master of the feast. And when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, he did not know where it came from, but the servants had drawn it, they knew. And the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And we see here that the master of the feast, I wanna let you know that he was the one in charge of all the food and drink at, the, at a wedding. And the servants that drew the liquid out of the water pots did this in faith. They obeyed Jesus Christ, believing that it was okay to take this to the master of the feast. When Jesus calls us to be obedient, we need to trust what he says. He can be held accountable to his word. He is always faithful. See, we do not know at what exact moment the water was turned into wine. We don't, we don't know if it happened when they filled it with water. We don't know if it happened the instant that they took the cup out. We don't know. These servants knew that the pots were filled to the brim with water. They had done it themselves. And they knew that if they, and they knew that if what the master of the feast drank was just water, it would mean disaster. But at the very moment, these servants witnessed a miracle. In the cup was wine, not water. The master of the feast did not know where the wine came from. He was unaware of the water pots. He was unaware of the miracle. But the servants had the blessing of being a part of Jesus Christ's miracle. And that's for us today. There's a blessing to be a part of Christ's miracle. The death of our Savior on the cross for us is a miracle. The miracle of being saved. You know, the, the, there was a, disciples that went out and did all these miracles and they came back and they were exclaiming about all the, we cast out demons and healed and all these things. And, and Jesus rebuked them and said that they should take more joy in the fact that their names are written in the Lamb's book of life, not in the miracles. And that's the real miracle in our life, to be saved and set free and be with Jesus for eternity when we pass. And so we see in verse 10, and I'm gonna close here pretty soon because I know people are like, we gotta have lunch and cook for the football game. <laughs> in verse 10, and he said to him, this is the master of the feast, and he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out good wine. In other words, um, they, they would just put the best in the beginning. You know what I mean? And in and, 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 and the language here where it says, um, and when the guests have well drunk, it's not that they were drunk. It's when they had drank enough. Okay? So, 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 so that was like the norm. Like, okay, you know how it is. Okay, we're just going to put the good stuff out, and then, you know, you got 200 people, and okay, they've all had a glass. Now, okay, get get the dregs. We're just going to give them the rest, you know. They don't need any more of the good stuff. So that's where he says the inferior, in other words, the inferior being the worst of. And he makes this statement. The master of of the feast says this, you have kept the good wine until now. In other words, the party was well on its way. It wasn't in the beginning. So the master gave the bridegroom a great compliment that he saved the best for last. Uh, Please note also um, that this good wine, where it says good wine, it does not mean that Jesus made wine that was high in alcohol. You have to understand that. 
but it just means that Jesus made good tasting wine. It was of good quality, okay? The quality of wine does not mean high percentage of alcohol, okay? <clears throat> now, it is important to know that the wine back then also was not the same potency that we have today. It was very, very watered down. It would take a very large amount for someone to become intoxicated. Nevertheless, it was wine. I want to stress that drinking is not something that is promoted in the Bible. It's important to know that. Some people take Scripture and they use it to justify sin. Some people, you know, they, well, God made marijuana and it grew out of the earth and so it's okay to, you know, do God made wine, it's okay to drink as much as I want. So I want to stress that drinking is not something that is promoted in the Bible. Listen, there's a difference. It was permitted, but not in excess or promoted. Wine was used at times for medical purposes. We see that, that was spoken of. And as we see here in this very special occasion, but the Bible does discourage drunkenness. It speaks against it, actually. Um, Using alcohol to take the edge off or relax on a reoccurring basis could become an addiction, and it may hinder a Christian's witness to unsaved friends and family. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, and do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. In other words, do not drink to get a head change or become drunk. You're like, the pastor said head change. Did he used to do those things? Yeah. My life was horrible. I spent 20 years running from God, drinking and smoking and snorting and eating anything I could. The fact that I'm standing here, and I've said this here and there throughout this ministry is a miracle. And there's some of us in this room that are miracles because God took his hand from heaven and put it in the midst of our hell because we believed a lie that the substances were okay. See, as Christians, we're to live a life unspotted from the world. And Satan wants us to believe that it's okay to have one leg in and one leg out. Because he knows that people, when they see Christians that are living hypocritical lives, there's no power in that. Because they look at us and say, well, there's nothing different with you. Your God can do nothing. And so I had to come to terms with that, falling on my face 100,000 times, where it was like I needed to be done. And I love how God's so faithful. He'll allow us to fall down so many times until we're finally done. Some of us pay more consequences than others, but he's faithful to help us work those things out of our life because he knows what's good for us because he's a loving father. And so I really wanna, I'm speaking from a place of knowing what addiction is and and knowing that the Bible does not promote the excessive of drinking And that's not what is happening here. It's very important to understand that. And that's why I believe the Lord brought me 
to read to you guys Ephesians 5.18. Again, I'll read it. Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Don't overindulge. Instead, be filled with the Spirit of God, and He does and will fill you. There's great spiritual principles for Christians in John chapter 2, verse 10. Hear me out. You see, there's a certain way that the world works. It entices us with all of its glitz and glamour right up front like the flashiness of a fishing lure. Then when we bite it and end up following in, following in, following in the temptations that the world has to offer, we are left empty and with nowhere to go and no help from what we thought was so great for us. We thought these things were so amazing, but when they leave us in this dirt, whatever it might be in our life, there's no help in it because it's only a lure from the enemy in the world to draw us to a place of emptiness with no hope. If you're unsure if you, and it, sorry. Yeah, it leaves us empty. And it's not so with Jesus Christ. For Christians, the best is saved for last. Just like in this where the wine, the best wine was saved for last, the master of the feast said. For us Christians, the best is saved for last. It only gets better in time. Jesus does not leave us empty and desperate. He satisfies us. He gives us peace. He is our ever-present help in time of need. He is faithful, and we are headed for the very best and amazing fulfillment, and that is heaven. Where there will be no more hurt, no more pain, no more tears, we will be filled with an unimaginable joy for eternity dwelling with Jesus Christ. Heaven is the final destination for the Christian. Heaven is our home. And if you are unsure if you will be in heaven one day, there will be some of us up front for you to talk with after service. After the last song, we'll be up front. Verse 11, closing with this, this beginning of signs Jesus did in Canaan, Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. See, this was the first miracle Jesus Christ did. It clearly displayed his magnificent glory, creator of heavens and earth. No task is impossible for him. No task is impossible for the Lord in your life. Let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for each and every person here. Gosh, Lord, thank you for the reminder and, of, of your ability to, to transform uh, from, from nothing, Lord. You're able to, to change a life, God. Lord, the wine thing was just, it, it, was, it, it was trivial to you, but, but it, it showed that nothing is impossible for you. And I pray, Lord, Holy Spirit, that you would emphatically, exuberantly impress that upon our lives. That even as we leave this place today, that we would be reminded that nothing is impossible for Jesus. I thank you that at the name of Jesus, every knee bows, every tongue will confess your name one day, that, that everything in heaven and on earth is under the name of Jesus, that your name is 
is lifted high above all things. I thank you that, Lord, we worship you, that, that when we teach here and, and sing, that this isn't about us. We want you to be glorified. And, and I pray, Father, that you would be glorified in our lives. And if there's any area in our lives, God, that is not pleasing to you, help us, Lord. Will you reveal these things? And give us the courage to confess our sins to you, Lord. You're faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And there is amazing joy and peace that comes with you, Lord. And so I just pray that you would just give all of us today, Lord, whatever we need. In this group of people, I don't know what anybody needs here. Lord, you know. You know. Just like you knew how to change molecules of water, Lord, into wine. You know how to change us, Lord. And you love us even more than even your miracles, Lord. You love us more. And so I just pray that you would just help us to be submitted to you, that your love would be evident, that we would draw close to you. And as we draw close to you, Lord, your word says that you'll draw close to us. So I pray, Lord, that you would reassure anybody here today of your love for them. Just thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Again, after service, if anyone needs prayer or would like to talk about anything, we'll be up front after this song.